Welcome to TTP episode number two, a conversation about life, health, and overcoming the challenges we face on our individual journeys. This time, I speak to Nick McGrath about mental health. Nick is a freelance journalist, and over the past 15 years, he has interviewed hundreds of well-known celebrities. It's pretty likely you will have read one of his interviews in a well-known newspaper. You can read more of Nick's excellent journalism by heading over to his website. I first met Nick on the Amuse Moose comedy course we attended in July 2021. We got chatting and discovered some shared experience of growing up with complicated family dynamics. We have a good old convo waffle about life, depression and our experiences of starting out as fledgling stand-up comedians. Nick is very candid about his mental health struggles and how it has impacted on his life for the past 25 years. Please be aware that we discuss depression and suicide in depth, so this is a trigger warning for those of a sensitive nature. So get ready, here we go. Okay, so Nick, I met you um, on the Amused Moose comedy course uh, in July, that was this year, I think. And uh, we um, we kind of struck up a bit of a friendship there. And uh, there were a disparate bunch of middle-aged people um, <laughs> who'd come along to maybe learn a bit of how to do stand-up comedy. I mean, on the surface, I think I didn't really, we didn't really know each other as a group. There were no, no one came with someone that they knew. And uh, sort of on the surface of it, we all seemed like relatively um, sort of competent, successful adults in the sense of uh, our jobs. And then... Um, Very generous of you to describe <laughs> it like that. <laughs> and then as I guess, as you kind of go in and meet people and the course uh, progress we kind of realize that underneath it all we're having various midlife crises and, and various things that are going on and uh, on the face of it you you came across as very confident and you are a journalist for a living you interview famous people all the time which is quite sort of uh, had a bit of a wow factor because I, I, I believe that during the course you interview Bill Bailey. Yes. So, so how did that happen? That was because he was doing like a short-term stint as a, a compare at the Proud Embankment venue, which is like a cabaret venue. Mm. So he was he was like the host, the MC of that performance for like two or three weeks. So the PR person doing the press for that event wanted to tell people about it. Right. So deal is I get to interview him and then he gets a plug at the end of the at the end of the piece. So I did that for the Sunday Times, I think it was, and we chatted and he was great. And um, hmm. he was just really entertaining and really bright and quirky. <laughs> and he was, yeah, he was very generous that he, he recorded a little, I told him I was doing the course. So he, he very kindly recorded a little message of advice for aspiring young or, or middle-aged or old <laughs> stand-up. So yeah, it was good. He was a nice guy. All right. Hello, uh, Bill Bailey here. And um, uh, if I can offer any advice to aspiring stand-ups, I would say uh, just... Uh, try and um, uh, be as um, calm as you can on the stage and slow down. Um, that's one thing I always remember 
of one of my early days was I'd written all this material and I thought this is great and I've got 20 minutes here and then I would go on stage and all the 20 minutes would go in the first five minutes <laughs> and uh, um, because I was talking too fast so I think you can afford to slow down and measure your words enjoy them use as many uh, variations of what you're saying because the English language is so rich and uh, uh, supple and um, enjoy it take your time with it because people you have people's attention they're looking at you you're on stage you're lit you've got a microphone there's a disproportionate amount of attention there and enjoy it use it so that was quite amazing in the sense of um, we're all kind of like slightly in awe of that and thinking wow this guy's got it together and you got this amazing <laughs> you're looking at me it's yeah. amazing you got the kind of really a slightly dream job in many people's would look at it wouldn't they of saying oh you get to meet all these amazing celebrities and, and just chat to them and and yet you your material at that point you started to talk about how you'd suffered with really quite severe um depression you know and in your life um, and it just seemed like a sort of juxtaposed to the, you know, your, your life and your job. So, so um, how did that happen? I mean, we kind of had a little bit of conversation about it as, as to your family life and, and various things that had happened in your life. Although I didn't intend to, when I started doing the course, I had absolutely zero intention at all of necessarily talking about my mental health issues. That wasn't mm. the point of it. I just always had like a curiosity to do the course, but looking at it now a few weeks on I think it's it's sort of inevitable that I was going to talk about it and actually yeah. I don't think I would have done the course in the first place had I not had mental health difficulty I'm not I'm not saying that you have to be a nutcase to do it but I, th I think um, from my perspective mental health problems are essentially like I don't know something's gone wrong there's a blockage there's a, there's a fear everything's got a bit twisted and part of my process of getting better which is obviously an ongoing thing that mm. will continue forever um is to be unblocked and to not feel fear and to not avoid so doing this doing the comedy is is very much part of that trying to have more of a freedom in your head to think well i may as well I, I, i'll do this stuff what's the worst that can happen i'll, I'll do it anyway yeah. and i think going back to maybe why i got depressed in the first place that is primarily i had quite a complicated um, upbringing, a quite an unusual family upbringing, resulting in me being very blocked and, mm. and suppressing a lot of emotions due to what was going on at home. And in a very roundabout way, that that eventually led to me having loads and loads of like breakdowns over about a twenty god twenty five year period. So mm. there have been many occasions, and and you know it's it's an ongoing process of unpicking it. So that's um it's quite a hard thing to talk about, really, isn't it? Because mental health is um, we say that we speak about it more now, but I still feel it is difficult to think to think about because in my experience, I mean, I've have experienced some level of depression and sort of um, I've had some treatment and. When I spoke to you, I realised, you know, that there are much greater levels at which one can get to. Right. I think even even my level, which is was relatively serious, I'm aware through continuing to talk to lots of mm. other people that my level is there's a lot of greater levels than mine. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I I had yeah within the last breakdown I had, which was in 2015, it lasted mm. about two years, and wow. it just it felt like it went on forever, yeah. even though. I've been well for twice as long as that lasted. So I mean, yeah. time passes quickly when you're when you're okay. Time passes really quickly. Mm. When you're depressed, 
oh my god it's a fucking nightmare <laughs> it felt like forever even since since then since i've got better oh, you know one a family relative has killed herself basically through different different issues but she had mental health issues and she mm. she wasn't as lucky as me she didn't get the right help and that's what happened so you know all of those things make me appreciate that you know it's, it's a fine line and, mm. and but, but it's it's it is important to talk about it which is like going back to the the course yeah I mean, I didn't intend to do it, but yeah, <laughs> I, I said the material somehow, which I didn't end up doing on stage mm. in the end, but like the, the first material I did was pretty dark, I guess, and was, yeah. was all about um, suicidal thoughts and methods and triggers, and it was pretty explicit, I guess. Um, and yeah, I mean, we didn't, I decided not to do it in the end because one of the other guys doing the course, his, I think his, it was his wife's mum had ended up killing herself or something and she was going to be at the show. So I didn't want to trigger her mm. or anybody else really. Yeah. But it was a useful process to even sort of doing that material in front of a group of 10 strangers. It's a good thing. It's a good mm. thing because it's hard to talk about, but I think mm. it was good for me mm. to talk about it. And I hope that all, everybody else in the group got something out of it and got a bit of a better understanding mm. ultimately. Yeah. yeah, I was saying about how family can affect these kind of things and thinking about when I was a child and, and things that happened and my parents' behaviour. Uh, my parents weren't sort of very happy in their relationship. My father was pretty negative, swore a lot, Was um, he was ill and he took it out on everyone else. And um, I just remember sort of unpleasant times as a child. I think once you become an adult, a lot of what goes on in your childhood, you kind of, when you're a kid, things just happen and you get on with it and you kind of don't talk about it to anyone no one discussed it i mean grew up in the 80s and the 80s are not in my mind and not a time when um if you told your friends anything they would have <laughs> responded in a very sort of amazing way um and then once you become an adult you've got all this stuff floating around and it really became more of an issue to me when you know when i did get uh married and i was sort of having children and the manifestation then of depression was was more difficult and to deal with and in the end it sort of uh, caused caused more problems when did you first sort of become aware of that issue in your life? Yeah, I mean, what you've just described is exactly exactly what happened to me. Um, different reasons, but yeah, I was, mm. you know, I had an unusual background of without wanting to go into too many details. My parents <laughs> were basically new distance swingers. That is that. So I grew up amongst that environment, which is like you said, as a kid, you're like, oh well, okay, that's just how it is. You don't know any different, so you mm. just you just live it. But then mm. what I didn't do, which it sounds like you also didn't do in your situation is talk about it i didn't talk about it to anybody not my sister not my friends at school so i i had many years of basically feeling pretty uncomfortable about the situation mm. but as i've become an adult or well it's taken me quite a long time to get to this point i guess a lot of <laughs> therapy and the rest of it but now, now i fully understand that suppressing discomfort is like pretty much the most dangerous thing you can do for your mental yeah. health i did it throughout my entire sort of teenage years and then when i got to i was fine i didn't have any like episodes or anything i was relatively normal and then when i got into you know the big wide, wide world and i mean i did a degree which was also fine and then i did um a journalism course yeah and that started to sort of unfold and unravel and i just just the, the stress and the sort of pressure of that course i just felt like i wasn't coping as well as i could and then everything sort of imploded and i had yeah i got quite depressed I had sort of like a, a mini breakdown it actually didn't last mm. very long and i sort of 
bounce back out of it and I was fine. And I, I didn't really understand it, what was going on at that point. I didn't, I thought it was like seasonal affective disorder because it happened in the winter. I thought, oh, it's, that's, that's all it is. Yeah. And I had like another two or three sort of the following three or four years and the sort of same thing happened. And then obviously it just got a bit more serious and went down the, you know, trying to get sort of psychiatric help and which I, I did intermittently, but it was, I mean, it's still not ideal now, but I, I the NHS was, it's a nightmare. So, mm. you know, when you get to a depressive point, you need help now. Mm. And it isn't available now. It still isn't available now. So right. I got sort of pushed down a private healthcare route because I just needed help now. And it's, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And you get put on all sorts of different medications. And then probably for the next 20 years, I just like yo-yoed in and out mm. of depressive episodes, sometimes having years, you know, like four or five years of complete normality. Mm. And then I'd have like a three or four, five, six month period of collapse. Yeah. And that was a pattern. And then I'd have kids and the pattern sort of continued. It got, it got less. There were quite long periods where nothing collapsed. And it was yeah. fine. Yeah. And then, yeah, in the last sort of 10 years, it was like two or three quite bad episodes lasting a lot longer. And then mm. the last one, which was, yeah, 2015, it was like June 2015. And then it took me till about October 2017 wow. to be functioning again yeah. in that period. That's a long I time. was really um, on many levels completely unable to function in, in mm. any way i couldn't speak to people i couldn't really do my job i couldn't really parent i lost about two stone didn't mm. give a shit about anything didn't want to eat didn't want to drink didn't want to do anything so it was, it was horrific one one of the saving graces i think i found was for me i could continue and i would work i would compartmentalize my life into you know work and family and all that kind of stuff but it sounds as if you really couldn't function so how did that impact you couldn't work because you're de- if you're freelance you're dependent upon yeah i mean my 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 job is 100 self-generated yeah. now, if i don't put myself out there and get interviews do the interviews network engage if i don't do that i will get zero pence mm. and and i tried really hard to continue to do it during that process but when your your will to mm. engage and communicate evaporates <laughs> It's virtually impossible. I mean, I did, like normally I will do in my normal working life, like at the moment, I'll probably do three, maybe four interviews a week on average Mm. all the time. That's just how it is normally during that period. I probably did in two years, maybe 15 or 20 interviews Mm. in two years. That's all I can manage. I I couldn't do any more. And and the ones I did do, it was just, I mean, strangely... <laughs> it was a bit like like the feeling I now have for the ten minutes before I'm about to go do a stand up. <laughs> Basically, that, I had that sort of twenty four seven when I was depressed. I was sort of like, if an interview was going to happen that day, hmm. like now if I've got an interview, I don't really think about it until about two minutes before, and then I just do it, and it's fine. Maybe I'm a bit nervous if they're particularly tricky, but it's just a conversation. It will be fine. Hmm. It doesn't really matter. Whereas when I was in that mindset, um, you know, you, you overthink everything and you, you ruminate. And before I've even got to the interview, I'm thinking, well, they're bound to think this about me. They'll think that. What if, what if this happens? What if they say this? And you, you like second guess. Yeah. You're, sort of, you're all hyped up. And you're, you're, you're thinking 25 steps ahead of mm. what you've done, which is an extremely difficult way to 
think and mm. your your head just gets scrambled and it's just it's just awful i mean for people who've not experienced that sort of mental health it's it's um just a horrible way to exist yeah. because you can't, you can't relax ever no it's debilitating isn't it and and it's also it's not logical at all there's no kind of reasoning i find it if you try to explain to someone the ins and outs it just people don't understand you know people say oh i've been sad or unhappy and it's just not the same thing it's it's not being sad or unhappy at the depression is just such a it's a, a heavy weight upon you that just does not lift and then the emotions that come with it and it builds and it and it ebbs and flows and strange things happen like one day you might think oh I'm fine like a few minutes after thinking I'm fine it would all come back and then you kind of it just doesn't logically and some of the conversations I've had with people like oh pull your socks up or just switch it off and and it's such a, a miss sort of uh spoken truth that you can just turn it on and off and people have little sympathy often if you are in that state it did used to make me sort of cross that people had a little sympathy but then I, I sort of understand it because mm. if you haven't experienced it trying to describe what i just have to somebody who hasn't experienced it they don't really know what the hell you're talking about because because it, it is illogical and it doesn't make any sense and you know like you said when you met me on the comedy thing and i you know, i seem to be yep. this sort of person and, and I, I am that sort of person but people are complex and they've got lots of different sides to them and when you get into to like a, a certain type of mindset and that side of you becomes dominant you can't break out of that box at that point and it, it's that, that you know that is the challenge and the battle is to break that down and it's it's very 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 difficult and you mm. need lots of help and it's difficult to find the right help but i mean i try to at the moment i'm doing quite a few different things mm. in terms of like trying to talk about it i didn't used to write about it ever but i am writing about it now i just think you know the secondary problem with depression and mental health illnesses are that because there's a huge element of sort of shame about them and embarrassment that people tend to get stuck in this sort of spiral mm. and then think, well the last thing i want to do is like i don't want to burden anyone else yeah, and talk yeah. about terrible I, I just really hope that the way things are sort of gradually changing continues because I'm, I'm now adamant that i will never do that again yeah. and I, I, I talk about it a lot now and i think it's useful for other people yeah. because it's just that you don't need that extra burden of, of feeling shame as well as feeling depressed yeah. so but it is hard if um, to talk about it with your partner isn't it and if you've got someone and um, like my kids i'd never let them let on to them that something's wrong but it does depend what state i mean you, you sound as if you kind of really got into a state and the other the other side of it was um the treatment that you weren't really getting treatment even medication a lot of people say oh well, you can just go and get antidepressants and you'll be fine it doesn't quite work like that does it? it it can and it cannot i mean it's my experience is it's a massive lottery you know i hope that there is a progression in sort of an understanding of chemical psychiatry at the moment it appears mm. that basically they will pres prescribe all sorts of different random sort of antidepressants and they don't really know which one works for which type of condition mm. massively so they try to target them and i mean i've as i mentioned i think in the comedy course i've had a long <laughs> a long list of different types of medication and some work some don't work some carry on working some stop working you know some you do need to, you have to keep a certain level of sort of talking therapy going on to to maintain that mm. but it's 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 really it's a lottery and and you know at the moment Fortunately for me, I appear to have found a combination which works. So it is, at the moment, I'm taking duloxetine with lithium, which is a mood stabiliser. It always scares people when I say that word because they think, you know, you're basically like necking Duracell batteries or something. Lithium is the mood stabiliser, which is I've come out of a depression, a depressive episode, and the bounce has been too major, mm. which is, you know, if you look at it in terms of like a sort of mood graph, 
if you're doing that, if you're yo-yoing all the time, it's not good for stability. Mm. So the combination of medication I'm on at the moment, it sort of, it narrows the bandwidth of your moods a bit, I guess. And people, I don't know, some people say my, my ex as well was, she maybe legitimately, I, I don't know, but mm. she would argue and some people do argue that certain antidepressants or, or medications numb you a bit emotionally. And Definitely, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know whether that's true or not. And I mean, some of them definitely have in the past, but I, I don't feel numbed at the moment mm. personally. And, and I feel as a human, I'm a human who feels a lot. I'm I'm, I'm probably very oversensitive, which is why I probably get depressed. So mm. for me, if it does numb me 10%, it's probably a good thing mm. because <laughs> I've been too extreme in the past and, and that's led to all sorts of problems. So yeah. if that's what I do... There it is, so be it, whatever. Do you ever get um, a proper diagnosis? I mean, like, people go, oh, lots of people say now I've got bipolar or I'm this, that, and the other. Is did you Do you get a uh, diagnosis or is it not really? Well, it sort, of, it sort of shifted at different points, but I sort of did. I mean, um, I had so many different treatments and therapies and the rest of it, but it was sort of during that two-year period. I mean, I was under, I was under various different consultants, sort of care i mean in the end i end up having to go to like a, a residential place mm. for a, a week yeah just in a terrible state and it, it cost an absolute fortune and it, i did this really freaky treatment called um it's called wake light mm. therapy which is basically sleep deprivation deliberate sleep deprivation yeah. because when you get depressed your circadian rhythm is all over the place so it, you just can't think straight so the thinking behind that is if you reset your sleeping pattern it could have a jolt effect and just sort of recalibrate you yeah. which is what i was hoping would happen for my three grand um wow but it didn't, you paid it for didn't that work. yeah Okay, yeah. that's not on the NHS. I was, I was desperate. No, I, I wasn't. I mean, until that point, I hadn't been on the NHS for decades. Wow, that is a, that's a burden in itself to have to find. <laughs> Me and my family have spent, I don't even know how much money. I couldn't even tell you. Fuck this. A lot. A, a lot, lot of money. And ultimately, what happened was it didn't work. Hmm. I got to the end of the week, went to see the sort of course director bloke and just went, well, now what? He just said, <laughs> he, he, one thing he said, well, you know, it's the flip of a coin. Like, oh, well, oh, thank you. Great. Thanks a lot. That's great. Refine. Thanks a lot. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> he just said, like, I think you've probably you've reached the end of the road for private care. We can't do anything for you anymore. And I was like, mm. great. Brilliant. So then I was like even more sort of desperate. And then I actually ended up like a couple of times. I basically I just sort of presented myself at my local A&E because I was worried. Yeah about what I was going to do. I didn't do anything, but I was just, I was felt totally out of control. Mm. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then because I'd done that twice, that sort of, I don't know, must've ticked a few boxes, set off a line of action. And then I got put under a, like a, a brief intervention team. It's like a critical team. If, if you, I think if, if it becomes apparent that you become a risk, mm. a significant risk, then you, things do happen. And then things started to happen. I got, I got a team of amazing people sort of around me very quickly and I just had one particular um yes uh, consultant psychiatrist in in East London where I am and she was incredible yeah. and and changed my medication and she was just brilliant and and that started the sort of route to recovery and yeah touch wood I've been took a few well took about six months to sort of get back to normal and then since then um yeah mentally mm. okay you talked about being suicidal did that start right at the beginning of the episode or does it does it build up over time and you just got to the point where you were so desperate that you were thinking i just don't want to carry on or yeah, about 
it's pretty much like that. Yeah, I mean, you, you sort of, yeah, I mean, for anyone who's had any sort of depression, however serious mm. or not, I mean, for me, the beginning of it is always really weird because you're sort of, mm. you can just feel things start to feel not quite right. That's right. Yeah. I always sort of hate that bit because sometimes, in lots of other occasions where you, you might have that, feeling for like two or three weeks and then for whatever reason it subsides mm. and it doesn't escalate and you think god thank god it's not quite happened but then for whatever reason i still don't really know sometimes you get to a point and the spiral it becomes out of control and then you know you're just going to go down and down and down and you it's like sort of out of your hands it just feels like completely you can't do anything about it and then it just it just spirals and then before you know it well, for me, anyway, then I'm like in this sort of terrible, desperate situation and just feeling like, you know, every waking moment is, I mean, the way I describe it to people is, um, I think it's a, a good analogy is, you know, when you get a roller coaster mm. and you, that first bit of a roller coaster where you, you go really slowly up the ascent and you get to the top and then that moment just before you're about to drop that that moment there when i get into depression it feels like my every wake well waking and sleeping moment is like being at the top just about to drop so i'm i'm filled with extreme trepidation all of the time literally that is that is yeah. my only emotion all the time so everything then, triggers you whatever doesn't really matter then I mean, anything doesn't really matter anything but then when you're at that point it's, it's monumentally exhausting so you're using so much energy mm. to remain in that state of high alert mm. all the time but it's you know i start to get various other weird sort of physical ailments and you don't eat and you just it's weird it's like a sort of collapse yeah. physical mental collapse and it's fucking horrible how did you get any interviews during this time i mean did you did how are you lining up so you weren't working very well were you just counseling work um i mean I, yeah because because I've done it for ages, I get offered a certain amount of interviews. So people are still getting mm. in touch and saying, oh, we've got time with whoever it is. Do you want to do it? Mm. So I, I thought, well, look, I need to do this because it will make me better. If I can work more, that's normal. Yeah. Then it will help me get better. So I, I just tried to, um, yeah, tried to do some, but it was always horrible. And I think, so I had, yeah, the one incident which I remember, which was, yeah, it was just horrible. So I, I got an interview with John McEnroe, the tennis player, wow. which was great. <laughs> Like one of my heroes, it was fantastic. So I was excited to get the opportunity to interview him mm. in a normal state. Like if I was interviewing him today, I'd be really excited yeah. about it. I'd be like, brilliant. You know, he's a really interesting guy. I'm going to talk to him and be fantastic. But this happened in the middle of this depression. So as, as the moment arrived, it was going to be a phone interview. I was just, mm. it, it was like I was about to have an A-level <laughs> chemistry exam having done no revision at all. So it was that level of like petrification, if that's a word. And then it arrived. And then about five minutes before I was due to do it, I was in like a ridiculous sort of hyped up state. So I just I just called the PR and, and said that my son had been violently sick all over me and I couldn't do it which was a complete lie. It just wasn't true at all. And then I did consequently tell him afterwards. We've, I've sort of had a conversation with him since, but at the time I just had, I just had to had to escape the situation. Yeah. That, that's what I spent two years doing, like any situation. I just wanted to escape mm. the situation. And that's when you get suicidal thoughts or a sort of manifestation of that mm. because it gets so hard to exist. Mm. You, you'll wake up think, oh God, here we go again. Fuck, I've got another day of this. Mm. Oh my God. Mm. And then it's just... It's just it's beyond exhausting. See, so then you, then I got into thinking about how and why and how I could um, methods of um, ending it all. Do you think that um, you fixated? I mean, once you've got something to focus on, were you fixating on it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I started looking at all these suicide websites, which I didn't even know existed before, and then I yeah, I, I was as I 
talked about in the comedy thing i was you know working out the relative efficacy of of the various methods which would be most successful which would be least painful which was Mm. least likely to like kill anyone else whilst i was doing it Mm. and it became yeah i became obsessed with that and like every time i was i used to go and see a therapist in sloan square who was again i mean i don't even want to how much an hour it was it was insane absolutely crazy and it, it was didn't even work wasn't working no it was the wrong sort of therapy to be doing at that time it was really complex and really heavy and i was unable to even spell my own name at that point i can't i couldn't compute any information and this was just too complex it was like doing a bloody master's degree or something it was ridiculous and the, the healthcare professional at no point said to you don't come and see me you need to go and see someone else but they were happy to take your dosh yeah they're taking the cash yeah it's that's the problem with private health care is that you're never quite sure mm. they do want to help you of course but it's driven but, by money yeah whereas the nhs that's not it's not driven by that so in the end mm. the therapist i got i think that was part of it mm. but i knew she wasn't trying to just yeah you know bleed me dry that's not her motivation mm. so that makes it different but when i used to go and see that therapist in the sloan square basically i had to get a I had to get the district line. I, there's one particular platform with Victoria Station where I, I shifted from the Victoria line to the district line. I, had to, mm. I was stood on the platform and I don't know why it was that particular platform, but every time I went to see this therapist, I had like about a 10 minute wait. Every single train that came past, I thought, right, it's going to be this one. This is going to be the one. This is going to be the one. And it was like, I didn't do anything, but I, I don't know, hundreds of times I had to root my feet to the ground to stop myself doing it. And that's like a horrible way that to horrible. exist. Yeah, just absolutely terrible. And I'm, you know, it's I'm 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 grateful that I'm here and I didn't do that. And yeah. I, when I was in those moments, I was thinking of my kids basically and thinking I can't do that. I mm. can't do that because I'm aware that, which is why it makes me so sad for like the people I know who have done that. Mm. Sad that it's happened to them, but it's also you just basically passed it on. You passed it on to the next generation, and they will mm. almost certainly have big problems. Yeah, and I didn't want to do that. <laughs> Sometimes, it's the small things in life that matter so much. Spending time with family, catching up with old friends, taking a pause from our busy lives. Why not try potatoes? Potatoes. 100% naturally grown in Mother Earth. Potatoes. They're the ideal accompaniment to so many meals. However you like yours, baked, Boiled, mashed or hashed. Potatoes. Potatoes. Available today from leading retailers. So at the moment you're kind of you're you're good. What are your sort of plans at the moment? You're talking about doing various different things or you done stand up? Uh, apart from that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've got all sorts of stupid ideas. So who knows? I don't know. God knows what will happen. We'll wait and see. But, um, but I'll just keep I'll keep writing. I'll keep trying new stuff. Hopefully I can maintain stability. Yeah, just trying to make the most of it. The goal would be for you to keep on a level plane and for you yeah. to remain sort of healthy and well and active. And, you know, I've seen you in this state and I, I like talking to you when you're in this state, but I kind of uh, feel that with mental health, even for myself, it sometimes it feels on a bit of a knife edge that, you know, what can trigger it, what can happen, and we don't know what happens in life. For me, I've been going through some health challenges. I've got some issues that are going on. I've got sort of kidney failure to deal with, and that's been a real thing for me to start talking about all of these things and to push back on that so that that doesn't become this big 
like it's like a dam isn't it that you like what you were saying about releasing building all up behind it yeah i mean i, I think at the moment probably because of yeah i guess if i'm honest i think this period that i'm in at the moment is like a transitional period between being very unwell and being well and you know having separated from my partner of you know many years and it's there's a lot of change a lot of change has happened in my life in the last few years and you know I'm okay I am fine and it's I'm sort of stable but I'm aware that that mm. is quite a lot of change and it's I don't think it's a sort of sustainable way to be until I die it's it's too that is an issue, isn't it? Because change can drive a high. Um, doing the comedy course for me has been a great thing because it's driven something like the negative thing of having testicular cancer last year. That that was something that, that has caused a chain reaction and for me has helped. And it sounds stupid, but it, like yeah. people say, oh, having something happen to me has saved my life or made me happier. I think it makes you reappraise things. It's just that keeping that it's a sustainable thing that what i what i worry yeah. about is that i'm on a bit of a high at the moment not not stupid you know like you're saying about swinging i'm the same i don't like to swing far from a certain place so that there's there's not that kind of pullback yeah i mean there's, there's a book i can't remember what it's called actually i should read it it's a really interesting idea it's about um i think it's called something like the pendulum effect or something and it's you know like i was saying about moods mm. going up and down i think that the the sort of theory of this book is that our emotions are basically you know if you imagine those what are those office yes. um newton's cradle that thing yeah if you imagine like the optimum point that we're all trying to achieve is that yeah. point bang in the middle but obviously it's incredible. You can't remain at that point. So the, the idea of this book, I think, is that you try to do stuff in your life which pulls you as close as possible to that point, and you try and you try and cross over that point as much as possible. So you want to sort of reduce the bandwidth of the the swinging, basically, yeah. and make it a bit narrower. So I suppose that's what I want to do in the future. Is you know, I don't want to numb myself to emotion, obviously, yeah. but I don't want to. You know, the more extreme the emotion, the more possible that it's going to yeah. get out of control so i'm very aware of that um so i, I think you know on, on like a personal sort of mm. note as well when i hopefully at some point re resettle down with whoever it may be in the future um that will inevitably lead to a different sort of stability mm. i hope um but i'm you know that's not the position i'm in at the moment so yeah it feels like i'm not, not in limbo. Limbo sounds sort of too negative. But I mean, it's it's transition at the moment. But 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 the fact that I'm doing stuff like this and talking mm. to you and having a conversation about it means that yeah. I'm aware of it. Whereas I think on previous occasions when I've had depressive episodes, I've got better, and then I've sort of just buried it again straight mm. away, as if to think, oh, I'm yeah. fine now. I'll be fine. I don't need to think about it. And that is yeah. a mistake. And I won't be making that mistake anymore. I just I will complete. I'm going to carry on yeah. talking about it and just yeah. be aware. Because I think if you're if you're aware that is half the battle. Yeah, people pleasing is a big one, isn't it? Because you don't want to let anyone down and feel as if you're sort of creating being the issue. Which obviously the impact that it had on your wife was that she became the carer and you became the patient, and that's not a healthy dynamic in a relationship, and not not for husband and wife, or you know, even for um, if you've got an elderly parent that you're you're looking after, the, the role reversal is so difficult to deal with, and and many people talk about that. So that is, I think, getting 
yourself to a place you know it, it's my battle and it's your battle so it's that thing of taking that responsibility must have been just a massive part of it anyway it's just saying i have to deal with this and i'm gonna deal with it it's a monumental decision mm. to you know well, to, for mm. me to leave which is what i ultimately did and it's not a decision i took lightly you know because of my kids yeah. and feeling guilty yeah. but ultimately i think it will be the right decision in, in the in the long run um, and it, it is all part of the same sort of process of just yeah. trying to be a bit more emotionally sort of honest about where I was and where where I, I want to be. And but by not doing it, I wouldn't have been doing that. So I, I felt like I, I had to do it, even though mm. it was incredibly hard. And that the, the 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 ripple effects of that are still happening and probably will continue to still happen for I don't know how long. With you know post separation issues, it's very difficult and complex. Um, but it's a process I've. I've got to go through and I think at the end of it, I just want karma. I just want to be, you know, it's, it is quite tiring yeah. living a life. I don't want to do that. I'm 50. I'm, you know, slowing. Well, I'm not massively slowing down, but I sort of want to slow down a bit. So I guess that we'll see each other yes. here and there and on the comedy circuit. Yeah. So that's been one of the most amazing journeys you know it's just just uh enjoy that kind of um the relationships that we generate through the comedy great. group and that's some good people. i'm enjoying that that dynamic and and uh, that's been amazing and enjoying watching people perform i'd be um you saying you're going to probably perform and on monday the well, week today monday 27th so again I'm, I'm facing the same problem i've written my stuff and it's it's too long again so i need to I need to cut it i think i'm gonna I'm going to make it much shorter because I think when you actually get on there, because everything changes, doesn't it? Because you interact in a different way. So five minutes sort of becomes eight minutes anyway. So I think I'm going to write like three, which maybe will become five. So Andre led the comedy course and we it's a de definitely a rule of thumb that if you write a joke down, that if you can cut yeah. it in half, it would be much funnier and, and delivered much better in five minutes. And five minutes... It's, it feels like an eternity when you're standing there doing it, but it, it really isn't many jokes. No, I mean, to be honest, I mean, for me, it doesn't feel like an eternity at all. I mean, every time I've done it, when the, mm. you know, the compare comes on with a minute to go and gives you the note that you've got a minute left, I'm like, <laughs> how can that have been four minutes? It feels like 20 seconds. <laughs> I'm always absolutely <laughs> staggered that it's time has gone that quickly. I'm going to get to the point of... Um, which is the article I've written for The Observer. That's basically what I've said in that is, is at the moment it is still, it's enjoyable, but it's really scary still. I'm like on edge. I want to get to the yeah. point where I can sit or stand or whatever and just like feel relaxed because that, that's, and then it feels yeah. like a fear would have gone. I've still got the fear. So this is very much like a process. So if I can be relaxed, I feel like I've, I've sort of, you know, achieved it. You bought Harry Kane yes, last time. <laughs> And uh, do you realise that your dog stole know, the show? I know, it was probably a mistake to bring him on. I, I didn't really intend to do that, but then I just sort of <laughs> did. Um, but I think I got distracted because of him. So he's, that's that's his, what you're lucky. You've witnessed the one and only performance of the dog. <laughs> that's good. The guy sitting in front of me, he got his camera out when you were on. I was wondering what he was doing. And um, he zoomed in and took a picture of the dog. Oh, that's what happens all the time. I, literally, I walk down the street by my house. Everyone knows my dog. They don't really know me. They don't really care about me, oh. which is fine. It's good. He makes people smile, so that's good. So there we, there we go. The answer to life is really to agree. get a dog. Everybody, their dog. Yeah. Uh, Thank you very much, Nick. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, take a look at the links in the description. Please like and subscribe. I'd love to hear from listeners. You can comment on the podcast by visiting my website. 
Join me next time for even more Comma Waffle. And until then, TTFN.